Hey folks, it's Marshall Crenshaw, and I am back on the Rock Solid Podcast. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, I can't afford to be here. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he Use it, if only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away, a song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room to promote the 40th anniversary re-release of his sophomore album, Field Day. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Marshall Crenshaw. Hey, Marshall. Hey, Pat. Good morning. So, Field Day. It's out right now. All formats. Yeah. CD, digital, vinyl. If you go to Barnes & Noble, which is what I did, you can get it on colored vinyl, silver and blue metallic swirl. Uh, it comes in a gatefold. How exciting is this? Are, are you excited to revisit an album from 40 years ago? Yeah. Um, you know, there was a process of a couple of years to get this one out the door. And then the first album too, there was a 40th anniversary reissue of my self-titled debut album that came out last November. And then, uh, field day was released this month. But prior to that, you know, there was like a big lead up to, you know, in the first place I was able to claim the U.S. copyrights to the sound recordings. That was a pretty happy day in my life. And uh, then, you know, it was a matter of getting a licensing deal together. I wound up doing one with Yep Rock Records, which is a really great label for a guy my age. And uh, <laughs> just a great label all around. Like they really are like a classic kind of record label, you know, where it's art and commerce at the same time. And, uh, you know, they love the, the records, the, my Warner Brothers records. They, they were really happy to get on board with those. And and then from there, it was just kind of figuring out how to actually execute the whole thing. We didn't have access to the original cover designs. So we had to kind of find workarounds for that. And we did, you know, like we found great workarounds for all these little you know obstacles but they weren't really obstacles anyway the whole thing not only that but i'm also just kind of going through the whole time period in my mind and it's locked down you know so i'm kind of in this kind of meditative mode anyway or whatever you want to call it, ruminative kind of mode uh, so it was like a like a two-year nostalgia trip almost <laughs> for me and i really did enjoy that you know yeah uh, the whole thought process of it was great, you know. Now, in regard to the field day cover artwork, correct me if I'm wrong, you were never really happy with the original album cover anyway. <laughs> no, not so much, no. So this was... new one, it really uh, is killer. I love it. It looks so cool. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I love it too. I think that the way it's packaged now really does justice to the album. I even think, you know, dare I say that, um, like the, uh, I know, you know, the designer, uh, had a certain 
intent with the whole thing you know yeah. it was supposed to come off as kind of like tongue-in-cheek you know with the uh and now i think it works better as that you know like the the picture now where i'm kind of looking up into the sky and it just has the right vibe to it you know and uh as it happens the uh the front cover image is is the work of the same designer who designed the original cover because we grabbed the image from a, a full page ad in billboard magazine nice it was based on the poster that this person designed uh-huh. but anyway getting into the weeds here but uh, <laughs> no i love it too i really think it does justice to the album the title field day i don't know if i ever really knew where that came from yeah i didn't think of it it was um the person who was my manager at the time you know he really took the the ball and ran with it so to speak with putting the the package together i was after we finished the album i went on a vacation with my wife and my brother we all went over to prague in czechoslovakia uh, which was still a Soviet bloc country at the time. But uh, my brother's girlfriend at the time had a gig as an assistant director on the movie Amadeus. And he wanted to go visit her and uh, hang out on the on the movie set. And uh, he told me he was going to do it. And I said, oh, I'm going to. I own an eye. My wife will come along, you know. So we all went. And then it was a, just an amazing trip, you know. And we made a pit stop in London, too, and visited with Steve Lillywhite there. You know, he invited us. And while I was away doing all that, you know, the whole thing was being put together and was presented to me. And I I just really had mixed feelings about it. And it was kind of foisted on me. That's how it worked. But that's how anyway, the title he thought of the, the, the manager thought of the title. And I thought. Well, at least that's good. You know, the title, I yeah. like the title. I kind of get what it means, you know? Right. Yeah. Oftentimes the title will relate to a, a song lyric or something, but in this case, just uh, it's just a field day. Well, yeah, it's a figure of speech, right? Sure. It just means hey, you're having a darn good time, you know? You're having so, a darn good time. That we, is for sure. Yeah. We, 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 I mean, the record, emotionally, it's got a lot of peaks and valleys to it, but as far as the making of the record, we did have an amazing time, you know, so field day. Uh, we're in our element, you know. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but when you were talking about Yep Rock Records, I started to think about the great um, job they did with the Nick Lowe catalog. And I was wondering, is there a possibility that we could see Downtown or Mary Jean and Nine Others come out via Yep Rock in the future? I think so. Yeah, we talked about it. I I can't go through the same kind of big nostalgia trip for those albums that I did with my first two. I'm sure. just not don't not feeling it that way. Right. But but I you know I like the idea of them coming out. I can put them out and uh, so maybe so they maybe they'll be digital only. But anyhow, yeah. What somehow or another, I would like to do something with those two albums. My final Warner Brothers album, Good Evening. Yeah. I'm going to play Whack-A-Mole with that one when I can get it taken down from the streaming services, which is going to happen, I think, next spring or something. 
You're going to remove that. You're going to remove that from our memory. I might erase it. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. Well, you know, if you you can find it on eBay, if you want it, but well, I I can find it right here in my room on, uh, on vinyl and on a CD. So I'm, Uh I'll be, if you remove it, that's your prerogative. All right, let's move on to some field day talk. Uh, the players on this are you, Chris Donato, and your brother on drums. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Steve Lillywhite producing. Were you paired up with Steve, or were you allowed to choose your producer for your second Warner Brothers album? Yeah, it was totally my idea, entirely. And uh, my A&R person in New York City knew who Steve Lillywhite was, but the, her bosses out in Burbank, none of them did know. Mm-hmm who he was at the time and they were all kind of mystified as to why we would want to change producers. But I just really dug what, what Steve was doing. I figured I could channel it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I, I just thought he was definitely the guy, you know? So I, I reached out to him and we clicked right away. We hit it off. I mean, he's a pretty engaging person anyway. You know, yeah. he's a pe- real people person. But yeah. you know, we we just bonded right away, and and it was that was it. There was it was the only producer I talked to. Now this uh, this kind of shows you what record executives are like because around that time, Steve Lillywhite's producing Psychedelic Furs, Peter Gabriel, U two, and XTC, and these guys don't know who he is. Well, you know, to be fair. Um, those were all English hit records. Well, okay. And okay. they had a cult audience over here, but he hadn't, you know, he'd only done one record in the U.S. prior to Field Day. He went to Atlanta and recorded a record with a band called The Brains. That was it, you know. Okay. He really didn't have any kind of presence or visibility. I got to say, you know, like Warner Brothers was a genius record label. Everybody knows that. They were one of the all-time great record labels but but i do uh you know i do feel that when i was with them it's like whatever blind spots they had i managed to find them <laughs> you know like time after time i don't know that's how it went for me crazy but anyway and that is sad because um i mean i like all your records but yeah your first two are incredible much like i've told you before uh, I feel that Miracle of Science and number 447 uh, for me are also, you know, great. Like these two first two albums are, but you know, yeah, I, I like everything. Uh, were you, so you were obviously fans of these records that Steve was producing these, the Peter Gabriel and U2 XTC, all that stuff or else you wouldn't have uh, obviously wanted to use them. True. Yeah. I just really dug the sounds and uh, the content of the records you know i could hear a certain kind of style uh, he probably steve would probably not want me to say that but uh anyway just to yeah i just i thought these sounds remind me of something and uh some of you know like some of the sounds reminded me of the uh this is gonna sound kind of weird but uh you know just like those th- thundering drum sounds that he was into yeah it reminded me of like chess records from the fifties and, you know, Excello, a lot of blues records that I loved, you know, have these kind of larger than life sounds where they're really like making these, these sound worlds, you know, like 
like the drums on some Chuck Berry records, you know, they just sound otherworldly. Anyway, that's what some of Steve's stuff reminded me of. I just thought we can we can go into this imaginative realm with the sonic aspect of it, and I, I wanted to do that. You know, that was my taste. And that's what uh, I guess that's what you told uh, Robert. Hey, Robert, this is what I, I need you to uh, to sound like on this record. Well, Steve was really you know engaged with that whole thing. Like, it, you know, it was I I wanted him to just sort of you know do his thing with all of that, with yeah. the drums, you know, and he did. So when it you was go- weird, but we, we did the, we did, everything was in layers. Believe it or not, there's no ensemble playing at all on the record. Even though it's got this nice live yeah, kind of sound to it, but there, there weren't, there was never, there was never more than one person playing at a time. And my brother, when he did the drums, it was, he did the drums first and the symbols afterwards it was it was cockeyed but that's what the producer wanted to do and i wanted the producer to do what he did you know so that's what that's how that went a little weird but and are, do you like the studio process do you like that uh, constructing and building with layers and taking your parts from one day and chris and roberts from other days and piecing it together or would you rather have played live together in the studio I love, I do love record making, you know, yeah. like that's what got me into this whole bracket, you know, and uh, just that art form. I wanted to engage with that art form, make records and create my own sound world. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, we did it that way and the end result was cool and the process was fun. Yeah, I don't have any quarrel with any of it. All right, cool. I that I, I feel like the word cool is something that uh that you use a lot in regard to uh to making music and it, it's gotta be cool. Oh, okay. Well, let's I'll thank uh I, Lester Young, the tenor sax player with the Count Basie Orchestra. The, the this legend has it that he was the first person to use the word cool the way we all use it every day. Can you right. I mean if it's really true, then you know just Think about that. Like one person, yeah, starts saying something, and now everybody's everybody that speaks English says it. You know? <laughs> I want to come up with one word that uh, people will start saying. I'm gonna have to figure that out today. First song in the album, "Whenever You're on My Mind," co-written with Bill Teeley. This was your first single. This was your first concept video too, right? Was this your first <laughs> putting your foot in the water of videos? Yeah, it was, sure. You know, we wanted to do one. We wanted to be on MTV. 
we already were on MTV, but we wanted to do a, like a video video. And so we did one, you know, we went to England. That, again, that was something where I, I, I didn't, I just did what a person told me to do. You know, <laughs> we hired a director. Oh, this guy will be great. And you know, it was, it was, he, he was really good. And uh, I mean, I don't like the video, but that's not, it's not his fault really. Well, there's a, there's a lot of questionable videos uh, from back then. Yeah. I don't think you're the only artist that would say, yeah, I don't really like that video now. Probably uh, not. Now th this song is, is such a killer. And again, with, uh, with Marshall Crenshaw's history, I can't believe that this wasn't a top 10 hit. It's just, it's just fantastic. I can oh, listen whatever to, you're on my mind. Yeah. I can listen to the song anytime uh, and just love it. It's like, well, you know what? It, it was in the top 10. And if you lived in Washington, DC, Okay, and you would have experienced whatever you're on my mind as a hit single because, uh, I mean, it's a dirty story, but uh, people, you know, for years, people, it was a topic. You know, people would ask me, "What happened to the?" You know, people that had these really high expectations for how we were going to fare in the commercial music world. You know, right. and like, uh we we what we did was we kind of managed to alienate the the people in the radio promotion department like on day one that we were at Warner Brothers, and that's my word to, of advice to you kids out there. Don't if you get signed to a record label, don't alienate the people in the radio promotion department because that's really you're fucked if you do that. Yeah, that's good advice. But we did it, you know. And uh, but anyway, uh, whenever you're on my mind, just got added to the playlist of a top 40 station in uh, DC through the, through the auspices of this guy who worked in the distribution center, not the label. He talked a friend of his into trying the record out and she put it on the air and just boom, it went right into the top 10. But then uh, you would think that the promo department in Burbank would go, okay, great. Now we got a story to tell. Let's run with this. Right. They did the opposite. They got mad at the guy who got the record added. They said, that's not your job. Don't ever do that again. And then they continued to pretend that, that the record didn't exist. And it was really mean, but I mean, it was, it wasn't all the, it wasn't all them. I have to say, I know that I, that I created some of the bad blood myself. I, I really know exactly everything that happened back then. I know exactly why it all played out the way that it did. And, uh, I mean, it took me a while to piece it all together, but at this point in my life, I'm like, yeah, I get it. I know why it went that way, you know? Yeah, it takes time and maturity sometimes to realize, oh, okay, that's what happened. Yeah, I really, you know, I really sabotaged myself in a lot of ways back then, but, but I, you're still still, had a, I still had a great life, you you're know, still, you're I still, a great life. You're not selling cars or, or working at Target. You're still making a living doing what you love to do. Exactly. Uh, was this your choice for the first single? Did you have any um, say in that? Well, it seemed like an obvious choice. I well, mean, yeah. You, you can't, you know, it's a, it sounds like a hit record. It is. A, it was a hit. It is a hit record. Yeah, it is. It's a hit still, record. A, it's still around 40 years later. So that means something. Is it, uh, is it in the set list every night? I play it. Yeah. Cool. We do play it. So the 10 songs that make up the original album, 
because there's, I think there's five bonus tracks on the new release. Were all 10 of these written before you entered the studio? No, they weren't. The only two that were written, or three, I should say, the only three were Whenever You're On My Mind, which predates the songs on my first album by about a year. Uh, and then there's one called For Her Love that was like a leftover B-list item for for my money, but then I put it on the A-list because we needed it, you know, to fill out the album. And then there was a cover tune we did, uh, What Time Is It, originally recorded by the Jive Five. <laughs> I don't know. Co-written by Richard Goddard, the guy that co-produced my first album with me. Um, so those three songs existed already. The rest I wrote while we were doing the album, and that was wow. really, uh, I mean, that was cool, you know. I took that, I took it on and I made it happen. And it was like, I mean, they're really good songs. Yeah. And they really are of that moment too. They're like, right. From that, you know, it's from life experience right at that moment, all of that stuff, all those songs. You brought up for her love that uh, kicks off side two. That is one of my favorites on the album. I just love that song so much. Yeah. From time to time, I'll just start singing that song and doing the dishes or whatever I'm doing. That song pops into my head so much. I mean, again, mm. it's been 40 years. I was 19 when this album came out. And that song still does something, makes me feel, makes me want to sing it. And they, uh, the part in the middle, I, I, is that called the break or the bridge? With or Is that the chorus? We walk together on a summer night. That uh, line? I don't know. I call that a, like an... It's a repeat of the pre of the verse that came before the guitar. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't know what it's a part of the song. Yeah. I love it. I love it is what I'm trying to say. I just love that yeah. part of the song so much. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. What about um, sequencing of the album? Were you involved in that? Or you, do you hand that over to the Steve Lilly white to do? I think it, I think it, that I, that I did this sequencing. I usually did you know, on my albums, um, you know, maybe we talked about it. I don't remember, but, uh, it's likely that I, I, I did it and had some input from other people. How difficult sequencing is really, really important. You know, like when I, when we finished all the mixes for, for my first album, the first playback we did, I mean, I was so terrified while we were doing that album, the first one, like I felt, you know, the pressure was really intense. And, uh, when we first did, when we did the first playback, I just sat there and I went, I'm fucked. 
you know. <laughs> but then we resequenced the album, and it just it made like a huge difference. We put "There She Goes Again" at the start, which was a little bit of an offbeat way to start it. No, uh, anyway, it all changed once we resequenced it. Isn't that funny? Yeah, well, it is. Uh, I mean, I know artists like Bruce Springsteen; they labor over the sequencing for a long, long time just to get it right. You need that flow. Yeah, when you you know it's crucial, and uh, yeah, for that was the thing that people really would sweat over with when they were making albums, you know. And again, you 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 called out the kids, so I'll tell. Yeah, kids, that's when you would listen to an album, uh, top to bottom. That's what sequencing is. Not just uh, one song and then move on. But yeah, uh, right. yeah I, I always think that your albums are sequenced uh, pretty flawlessly. I'm always impressed with the range of emotion and just how it takes me on a ride. I love it. Thank you. Track two was also the second single, I believe, Our Town. I hear something in the sound that's I assume our. I don't town. think there was a second single, but anyway, maybe yeah. you're right. I think there. <laughs> I uh, yeah, my notes say there were, but you know, you're you're the guy. So if there wasn't a second single, then yeah, then this uh, this album was undervalued by the uh, by the suits. But uh, the song "Our Town," I assume that's New York. Yeah, most certainly it was. You know, I I was uh, a little bit homesick. I could always write a song about New York, you know, it was like a topic I could always, you know, I could fill the blank page easily when I was writing about that thing in particular, you know, and that's a good one. People love that one. It's still one of your favorite places to play. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, I live about two hours North of the city now and I've actually spent most of my life, my wife and I, we spent most of our lives now in the lower Hudson Valley. And that was certainly wasn't planned, but it just kind of turned out that way. But, you know, I still feel like New York is, is where I'm based like career wise. I still feel like there's a scene there that I'm part of. And, uh, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's nearby. I can get to it when I want to get to it. I still, I don't feel detached from, New York City, and I don't want to be either. I figure I love a lot of places, but it's like I don't want to I either want to be in it or near it, you yeah. know, as far as New York City goes. I still feel that way. Now, my our son lives there now, he lives in Brooklyn, so we go visit him sometimes, or we to go, I don't know, for whatever reason. I got to go for the city to the city for two nights this weekend to be on a nuggets 50th anniversary package show oh nice 
Yeah, I'm looking. You know, be I'll see a lot of my friends and peer and peers, and uh, my brother who lives in Connecticut now. Yeah, yeah. New York is still. I feel like I'm. That's where I'm based. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, "What's your secret?" Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is nothing to do with field day. It just popped in my head because the last time we talked, I wanted to bring it up and, uh, and I f- forgot to, I saw you when you were out here in LA doing that love and spoonful show. Oh, didn't want to have to do it. Didn't want to have to break your heart. I didn't want to have to do it. Kept a hoping from the very start, but you kept on trying, and I knew that you'd end up crying, and I knew I didn't want to have to do it at all. I didn't want to have to do it. The thing I wanted to bring up was. Many times during the show, I would look and you would just be off to the side in the back, enjoying the music. It looked like you were enjoying the music as a fan. And I kind of got a kick out of that. So, Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like those, you know, multi-artist, multi-artist shows a lot. And that one was a particularly fun hang, you know, like the atmosphere backstage was just really upbeat and great. A lot of people, you know. That was a long show, too. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like three and a half, pushing four hours. But it was cool because all the all the members that uh, that are with us were there. So that was amazing. Yeah, I really loved it. That was one of those nights, one of those experiences where if you told my 12-year-old self <laughs> that I would do that one day, that I would have been really happy to hear it. Well, if you told my 19-year-old self that I would be talking to you about this Field Day album, I would uh, I would not believe it. So I oh. understand how these things go. Um, yeah. You mentioned your wife. You've been together for a long time. Yeah, we have. How Indeed. long? Uh, very long. Like <laughs> since, uh, let me see, uh, since uh, 1972. Three, something like that. Wow. So she she's been around for all these records being made and and the whole deal. Everything. Yeah, I know. Like I said, I, I, she and I have been together forever, and it's great. I'm I'm extremely fortunate and happy about it. You know, I've been married 25 years. I understand. Oh, good. Uh huh. Uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about doing uh, album shows where you go out and you play Field Day or the debut or any album top to bottom? I did do that with my first album. 
when it was the 30th anniversary and I didn't enjoy it very much. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to I really, I just didn't, you know, but, uh, anyhow, yeah, I did. We did three nights at the city winery to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the album. And it was, it was nice. You know, I really, what I liked about it was just people's reaction to it. You know, yeah. a few people came from different places on the globe or in the country and uh you know it was a it was a big celebration for a lot of people you know for me it was a little tiresome but you'd rather mix it up i would you know i'm like yeah. really proud of my whole saga you know and yeah. uh, i can't you know i don't want to get up on stage and not play you know you're uh, anyhow it, it was fun for the people that were there. It was fun for me, but uh, I didn't. I wouldn't. I don't necessarily want to repeat it. You know, gotcha. I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. All right. I'm Honest on a answer. tour. I'm on a tour now, though, and I call it my 40th anniversary tour, and it is. But you know, it covers the whole time span. It leans heavily on the early stuff. Yeah. But but it's not exclusively that. You know. And I'm not yeah, well, doing whole it, albums. Yeah. Well, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be exclusively exclusively that because uh so much of the music that you made in your later career is it's some of my favorite stuff. So there's some songs of mine that I don't want to ever hear again or play again, honestly, because they just have you know this or that connotation. Yeah. And it's like it's not, I don't want to revisit any of that, you know, with certain of them. But uh, I won't say which ones. <laughs> All right, or, I won't or ask why or anything. But uh, I do feel that way. But it's if I could, when when people come to see you play live, the songs you're playing live, those are ones you want to play for sure. I'm afraid so. It does work. It works that way. You right. know, like it's got. I figure it should be a fifty-fifty situation. You know, where I'm being fulfilled and. And hopefully right. the audience is too. But I, I mean, you know, I don't sit down. Anyway, that's how it goes. It's got to be 50-50. Uh, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, um, I'm a, a big Todd Rundgren fan. And sometimes when I go see Todd, I think his set is 90-10. Uh, 90 for him <laughs> and 10 for the audience. But uh, I love Todd. So, uh, hey. I do too. Whatever you want to do. Um, I think he's still great. Yeah, I like yeah, Todd I think he's still great also. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you touring right now solo or you got a band with you? It's a band. It's a great band, too. I, I played shows with them last year. We played uh, in the Midwest and on the East Coast. That's kind of my territory for the most part. But uh, anyway, I'm back out with them again. We just did the Midwest and it was like really super cool. You know, it was uh wow you know and uh and then we're doing the northeast the east coast in september yeah we've got shows in the southeast like charlotte and atlanta and uh st louis uh, you know like those have to be kind of nailed down still yeah and then we're going to play on the west coast just kind of starting to put that together all right cool towards the end of the year it'll be just those four those four blocks of right. uh, of touring for me and well, for them 
but I'm it's sure. a great band. It's a uh, Mark Ortman from the Bottle Rockets is the drummer. Um, and then these uh, two fellas who are based in LA, um, Derek Anderson's the bass player, and Fernando Perdomo is the other guitar player. I know who just, both of those guys are. Derek played with the uh, the Bangles. Yeah. And, um, and say that Perdomo, I can't, what's his first name again? Fernando. Fernando. Yeah. He had, uh, he's had a couple albums with, um, who's the drummer? Why am I drawing a blank? I'm having a senior moment. Well, he's uh, done a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. And he did a, he did a, well, you, you were involved in a Todd Rundgren, um, tribute thing that he put together tribute album of keep your head and everything will be cool you didn't have to make me feel like a fool when i tried to say i feel the way that i do i want to talk with you and put it Yeah, that's how I ended up working okay. with him in the band, you know. Well, but I yeah, look forward- so he's really multi-talented. Yeah. Well, I look God. forward to those West Coast dates. I I've had the pleasure of seeing you out here. Uh, I saw you at a house party out here. A guy had a uh-huh. house concert. I saw that. Uh yeah. seeing you at McCabe's solo, just you, and then uh Troubadour so many times. So I look forward to seeing you again. Me too. I really very much look forward to that. Let's uh let's move on to you mentioned it earlier, the cover tune. What time is it? When you do a cover song, what's the number one thing that you're looking for? Why do you, what, what is, is it about the song that you think you can do differently, not necessarily better, but put your own Crenshaw spin on it? I guess. Yeah. I just uh, think, Oh, that would, that one would be fun to play. That would be fun to inhabit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you, anyhow, Engage, you know, engage with the with the thing, and then, um, what time is it? That was, uh, I was silly, but it, it did have something to do with the fact that Richard Goddard co-wrote it. That I did it, it's just like a shout out to him, kind yeah. of, because you know, I didn't want him to feel bad that I wasn't working with him again. <laughs> so stupid, but <laughs> well, no, that makes sense. Uh, that's that was part part of it but the other thing was was a song i just 
you know, I'd known for years and years and years, and I always liked the record a lot, and I liked uh, that group, and I just, I don't know, I don't know why, you know, it was just maybe it, maybe it was an odd choice, but you know, we did. Steve kind of arranged that one. I, I, I as I recall, you know, uh, it seems like it, and then all those crazy sounds on it like the backwards echo on the bass drum and all that kind yeah. of stuff. We, yeah, you just, know, we made, we made this funny little soundscape out of it. And uh, that was it. That's the cool you stuff know. that we were talking about. I guess so. Yeah. Track seven, Monday morning rock co-written with David Weiss. Tell the audience who David Weiss is. David Weiss was one half of Was Not Was. I guess his, you know, stage name and his pen name is David Was. That's who he is. And, uh, you know, I met those two guys kind of right around the time I was uh, starting to get myself going in New York, right? But, uh, I kind of knew of them before I met them in a funny way. Um, I, I used to work at this fast food place. Well, it wasn't a fast food place, but anyway, I used to work at this uh, kind of takeout food place in the Detroit area in a town called Oak Park, which is the next town over from the one I lived in. And uh, while uh, some of my coworkers went to Oak Park High School, right? And I got in a conversation one day with this one guy, a guy named Bruce Eggnator, who makes amplifiers now. But uh, I was telling him about these pranksters at my high school who would come to school tripping on acid and <laughs> run for student council tripping on, you know, like they, they were uh, they didn't have a like a name for their little group. But they were like the, you know, the weirdo provocateurs at my high school. And he goes. Oh, there were some guys like that at my high school. They were called the Maverse Players, right? So that stuck in my mind. Yeah. And then jump ahead a few years, and I'm reading an article about Was Not Was in the New York Rocker magazine, because they have their first single out, and it was a thing called Wheel Me Out with Wayne Kramer on guitar yeah. and Marcus, Marcus Belgrave on the trumpet. And, uh, you know, it was a, like a really cool record, like a, a cult record. I'm reading about them, and it turns out that they were the reverse players at Oak Park High School. They were the the acid crazed pranksters at their high school that I'd heard about, you know. So I thought, well, I got to meet these guys, and it didn't take too much doing. The first time I met Don, I went to 
media sound like a studio in new york where he was um doing something on a sweet p atkinson album and i so i hung out with him and then david was in new york a little while later i met them separately but you know anyway i'm still friends with both of them it's a homeboy thing i wanted to work on something with david just because i think he's great you know so that's we wrote that song together well it's a good one I like let's, it too. Let's talk about some of these bonus tracks. Uh, the first two, Our Town and Monday Morning Rock, in parentheses, TV tracks. One, one, one two, two, three. Explain to us what a TV track is. Well, all it is is just it's the final mix of the record, but with the lead vocal, uh, you know, muted, so you don't hear the lead vocal. And and the idea, and people used to do this too, um, was if you were going on a maybe like Top of the Pops, for instance, you'd sing live to your backing track. You know, so we prepared those tunes that we thought would maybe be singles. And uh, I found two of them, you know, those two that are on the reissue of Field Day. But, you know, it's like you hear the songs, you hear the music differently. Like, I I, lo- I really like to listen to those two backing tracks because I think they're both really beautiful, especially Our Town. And uh, that's that's all it is. It's like, like the stack of tracks version of of those two songs, but it's kind of enlightening to hear to hear them that way. So, if you were on top of the pops, the band would be miming to this track. Yeah, you'd be pretending to play your instruments, but the vocal would be live. But singing live, yeah. We, you know, we were on on TV a bunch, but we, I don't I don't think we ever did that. We would either just lip sync to the record, yeah. Or play live, you know, but there, there was one time we were on this one called Solid Gold. And uh, I I wanted to sing live, but we didn't have TV tracks for anything on the first album. So we had to go into a studio and, and record a backing track. Oh, my God. And the, the studio they put us in was um, had been United Western Studio 3, which is where Brian Wilson did all those records that he did. So I was kind of pleased that I wound up in that room to do this backing track, you know? All right. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's what those TV tracks are. All right. And those are fun to listen to. Yeah. It's good stuff. What time is it? Guide vocal version. What's a guide vocal? Tell us. Uh, well, the way we did the record and this was, you know, Steve's uh, procedure. Um, first, we would pick a tempo, right. For each, for the tune. And I do, I I do want to say that we picked, like we nailed it every time. We never picked a bad tempo for mm-hmm. any of the tunes. 
some of my records, you know, after the fact, I'll listen and I'll think, we cut that one too fast. I wish we'd done it slower. But but all the grooves on field day are the right grooves. But anyway, we'd pick the tempo. We'd lay down a click track. And then I would do um, a guide vocal and a guide guitar. And we would layer everything else on top of that. So that's what that track is. It's just the, the guy vocal with the click track for what time is it? But, you know, I put it on cause it's kind of funny, you know, like I say some funny stuff in the songs and I make some weird noises and, yeah. uh, and there's this, at one point there's this screeching feedback from me. I turned my head and my headphones and the vocal mic, it just made this because I used to listen to my playbacks at brain crushing volume all the time, you know, like, which was insanity. But anyway, uh, the screeching feedback on the guide vocal track, Steve heard that. And he said, keep that. We'll use it in the, in the final track. He really liked that, ah! that screeching feedback. You know? Yeah. And so that's, that's all you hear that on the record. Yes, you do. Uh, I mean, in the finished record. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Jungle Rock, that's a cover. Yeah. Oh. I'm glad you asked me about Jungle Rock. Yeah, it's pretty great. Well, I was walking through the jungle just the other night. Oh, well, I heard a bigger rumble and I thought it was a fight. But then I started listening again and moved my feet. It was a jungle. Well, and the way I see it now is uh, Jungle Rock is kind of predictive of field day. I did Jungle Rock by myself, you know, in 1980 in my apartment. And, uh, but, you know, it's got this kind of thundering bottom end and it's got all these crazy effects with echo and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you might hear that track and think oh you know that person might make a record like field day one of these days uh i hear it that way now you know like if you take all the stuff that i did during that time period from like 19 let's say 1980 to 1980 to 83 you know that would include all the home recordings i did like jungle rock a lot of those are out on records it would include my real first record, which was um, not my first album. My first record 
was something's going to happen. the shake records label and that was my first record that ever got played like crazy on the radio in new york city you know and then you take the two albums and i would say that sonically my first album is the outlier in the bunch you know like they're all of a piece except that one it, yeah. it, it kind of it kind of stands apart sonically from all the other stuff that i did but anyway feel uh, i'm sorry jungle rock it's just something I did one day to amuse myself. And it it reminds me a little bit of this track by Alan Vega called Jukebox Baby. I don't know if you know that one or not. I don't know that one, but I'll check it out now. Well, I love that track at the time. And it kind of like my version of Jungle Rock is kind of borderline like that one. And uh, anyway, that's it. I'm just fooling around, amusing myself. That's when some of the best stuff is probably born when you're just fooling around amusing yourself. True. Yeah, yeah. Something called AKA Durham Town. It's an instrumental. an instrumental is it because you couldn't think of lyrics for the music or because it was intended to be an instrumental yeah uh the songs that i wrote for field day we cut the tracks first and then i would have to go somewhere by myself and write the write the song and you know, write the lyrics and the, everything like that but we again we cut the tracks first and uh that that was just one that I never got a chance to finish as a song. Uh -huh. It was like, an, that's all it was. It was like a raw backing track, but like all of them started that way. All the ones I wrote, you know. For you, is it music first or lyrics first? Music always, you know, the first thing I start with is picking, a, you know, like a feel or whatever I want to do and just picking like a drum beat and a groove. And then I just, it's always that, it's always, it always proceeds from there, you know, 
you remember, like, if you see those old documentaries about rock and roll music, about how outraged people were by rock and roll music in the 50s, they always show this one film clip of a young preacher talking about how, you know, what do people, what when young people talk about rock and roll, what is it that they say they like about it? Well, it's the beat, the beat, the beat, you know. You ever see that guy? I have seen that now that you mention it. Yeah, well, that's really, he was right, you know, like that's what it's about. It's the beat, et cetera. So anyway, I start with that <laughs> and uh, just uh, start playing my guitar. And, you know, at first it's this kind of amorphous stuff. And then maybe I hit on something and I go, oh, that could be, yeah, I could structure something around that. You know, I just kind of gradually build it up from the point of the of the beat, the beat, the beat, you know? Yeah. So there's there's not a there's not a notebook of lyr of Marshall Crenshaw lyrics lying around your house. No, I you know I don't come at it that way. Okay, I don't come at it as a writer. I come at it as a aspiring or as a record maker. All right, and a and a guitar player. You know, I'm just trying to come up with ve a vehicle for myself to be able to play guitar. That was the the whole idea of all of it. You know. And uh, so it's I, I do the music first, and then you know I, I like the words. Since I'm not really like a writer, or don't I don't think like a writer, and don't store up ideas like a writer. You know, I don't. I, I never put anything on the page unless I have to, uh -huh. unless I'm writing a song. All right. Know? So I struggle. I, sometimes I struggle with that part of it, but uh, well, anyhow, that's how I do it. In the end, it all works out, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it mostly uh, does. Yeah. Closes out the new re-release of Field Day. We close it out with another cover. Great uh, version of Little Sister. Oh, yeah. Little sister, don't you? Little sister, don't you? Little sister, don't you? Kiss me once or twice and say it's very nice of you to run. Now, little sister, don't you do what your big sister done? Well, I dated your big sister, and I took her to the show. I went for some candy, then along came Jim Dandy, and they snuck right out the door. There they go! Little sister, don't you? Little sister, don't you? Well, we always loved Elvis Presley. We still do. And uh, back in those times, we used to play like I think like three or four of his songs from time to time. We used mm -hmm. to do one called "Got a Lot of Living to Do." Uh, I forget. Uh, a big hunk of love. We used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we you know we like him still. And uh, let me see, like that's a Doc Pomus and Mort Schumann song, "Little Sister." Yeah. And I was I was friendly with I was friends with Doc Pomus, like I connected with him, and uh, you know I'd go over and visit him. Like he would call up and say, "Hey man, why don't you come over? You doing anything next Thursday?" You know what I mean? Like he yeah. he was like that, and uh, he was you know was a, a beautiful thing for me 
to know him and uh, all that stuff, you know. So I just thought, well, I'll do this one and he'll, it'll make him happy. He'll go, oh, you did my song. That's great, you know. But, you know, it's a great to, it's great to play, too, you know. Yeah. It's, it's we, yeah, it's we a play it really, we play it really good too. Yeah, a fun live tune for sure. Uh, one yeah. more question about Field Day Greg Calby mastered the original album and he comes back and mastered the reissue too. How important was it for you to have him back? Well, he's done every record that I've done, right? He did all the EPs I did from yep. 2013 to 2016, and uh, you know, he's just is a friend and I, uh, you know, I love his sensibility about what he does. Um, you know, he's one of the best in the world and, uh, and it's fun to go hang out at the session with him too. Cause we catch up on stuff. And anyway, I like him and I love his work and, uh, that's all. It's like, what else? There's maybe one or two albums of mine that he did. He didn't do jagged land the kind of engineer co-producer did that did jack like all but two let's say of my yeah. albums have been greg you know jagged land that's your last full studio album of original material are you thinking about i always ask you this are you thinking about new music marshall right now the answer is i'm not but uh it doesn't mean i never will Okay. Again, in my life, you know, I would kind of love it actually if all of a sudden I was seized by uh, the urge, you know. And maybe I will be. I mean, I still enjoy the process. I did. Uh, I did a track at the beginning of lockdown. I did this thing called "Will of the Wind." Co-wrote the song with a fellow named Greg Turner. It's it's on the streaming services. So I found out then that I can I can still do it. Yeah, I know how, and I I got just as much of a buzz from doing it as I always have. But uh, anyway, one of these days I might, you know. In regard to the EP thing that you did, you were way ahead of your time on that because now vinyl has made it's made such a comeback since you've done those vinyl EPs. Like you were ahead yeah. of your time, I think, with that. Maybe a little bit. I mean, I got the I didn't I got the idea from Jack White actually. He was like uh a big, big, big proponent of vinyl. Yeah. Maybe maybe he you know, maybe he started the whole vinyl revival. I don't really know. It's possible. But uh anyway, I just picked up on something he said and I'm like, Yeah, I agree with this. You know, I just love the uh 
experience of of playing a record yeah a phonograph record you know as opposed to any other media medium you know that's the one that just i don't know why but uh it just appeals to me just this experience of it you know i like records uh, i still do yeah I, I, I do like i do like the way they sound the best if you have a clean one and it's a good record you know and it, it just they put energy in the room in a certain way now i mean there's now there's almost always a digital step in the process when an, when a record is mastered now mm-hmm. you know and it's and some sometimes you can you can hear that sometimes you can't you really have to take if you're buying records you just have to kind of take it on a case by case basis whether yeah. you think it sounds good or not you know but i i bought some uh vinyl reissues myself where i think it it came from a weird digital source i'd rather have i'd rather have an original pressing of this from the 70s but they cost 300 bucks and i don't feel like spending i'm thinking of these albums by uh parliament funkadelic on the that came out on the westbound records label back in the 70s and uh i have reissues of them and some of them don't sound great but i'm you know I look on eBay all the time at the at the used ones, and they're always like in the hundreds of dollars for like scratched copies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's anyway, always it's, it's hit and miss. But I, I I really like records best. Myself. Yeah, it's fun if you find something that's uh, original copy and sealed in your uh, used record bin. Uh, that's fun. I love. Yeah, yeah, that's uh uh-huh. That's well, my records sound really nice. My vinyl, the vinyl reissues that you and I are talking about, they sound great. They do. You know, I, agree I a, a and B them with the originals, and I could hear the difference, but I like the the current ones. You know. Well, let's tell people where they can find out everything about Marshall Crenshaw. Instagram at Marshall dot Crenshaw, Twitter at M Crenshaw. Website still <laughs> Mar- Crenshaw.com, still for the website. Yeah, that hasn't been updated in about three years, but we're gonna we're gonna fix that uh, this month. So yeah, where do the people find the tour dates then? Oh, it's a Facebook page, and that Facebook. that's okay. Yeah, Facebook and Instagram are, are the kept most current. current. Are they're kept current all the time? Not by me, but they are. You know, and uh, I didn't know I was on Twitter, but if you say so then i am that's probably current also has current right. information we'll fix the website all right and with that i only have one more question well first thank you marshall once again for uh being on the show and chatting with me i appreciate it yeah looking forward to the west coast dates um i'll stop by for sure and say hello and the last question is what song would we like to use as the playout song from field day which one do you want us to use boy you know what i don't care pick pick it yourself choose it yourself if you don't mind how about try i like that one let's do that one that would be track number four on the album everybody go see marshall crenshaw live go by field day uh yeprockrecords.com that's y-e-p-r-o-c and everybody please enjoy try thank you marshall thank you thanks for asking me again all right we'll see you soon you know i'm 
Good morning, Marshall. We meet again, right? We meet again. Good to right. see you. Yeah, yeah. You're up early, I guess. Uh, 8 a.m. I'm usually early riser anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. I see you got the memo on what we were supposed to wear, so that's cool. You know, every day I wear a black T-shirt. Every, almost every day I do, too. It's just, it's easy. It looks good with jeans. Yeah, I should... Get a towel dispenser up above my uh, dresser. 